A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, oh my goodness, it's the final podcast. Not ever, but this is the last um, episode of the first series of Spinning Plates. It's kind of flown by, how crazy is that? I suppose when you do something weekly, it becomes a little marker. Oh, that's funny, that reminded me, like the kitchen discos that we did during lockdown were like that. You kind of go, oh, it's Friday again. And now I've got this uh, lovely podcast thing going on and it's like, oh, it's Monday again. Let's put another one. Um, and listen, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, new adventure. I've loved doing this podcast, you know. Um, it's been so, uh, something I've been very selfish about. I've just been interviewing and talking to really lovely women. And it's encouraged me to be a bit bolder about approaching people I don't know already. Um, which, you know, I'm fundamentally fairly shy, to be honest with you. So... Initially, sending out little emails to people saying, would you like to talk to me? Was in, I was just cringing the whole way through it, but everybody's been so nice and I've been so fascinated by everybody I've been speaking to and I've learned so much that it's really, uh, it's maybe a little bit bolder actually. So if you think of anyone you think I should talk to for the next series, will you please tell me in the comments because um, I'm kind of keen to keep casting my net far and wide. Um, I'm quite excited about it all really. I keep thinking of new people and thinking, oh. And actually, uh, the guest this week is someone I didn't know before. Her name's Hadley Freeman, and uh, I just loved her writing. Um, And so I was really keen to speak to Hadley because I think she's super bright and really funny and uh, just, yeah, love, love the person she seems on paper. 
uh, always read, I've read her books and I've also read her um, when she writes for The Guardian. Um, and yeah, so she was so lovely and, and open to talking to me and so brilliant. And actually I've thought about our chat a lot since I met with her because there's so many things she said that really resonated with me. Um, she talks, uh, she's, you know, quite open about the fact she had anorexia when she's a teenager and how that she felt that kind of gave her a bit of arrested development. Um, and I think that really makes me think, you know, we, we're so in a hurry with ourselves to kind of feel like we're fully formed versions of ourselves really quite young, you know, we're in our 20s. But really, growing up takes a really long time. I'm still doing it now. And that's that's okay. I mean, obviously, I'm an adult and I'm responsible. But I'm definitely still, you know, hopefully evolving. <laughs> I say hopefully. It's not guaranteed, guys. It's not guaranteed. Um, anyway, I also really want to speak to Hadley, not just because I think she's bright and funny, but also because she's a writer. And I thought, Collie, when I think of people who work from home and also have young kids, Hadley has uh, twin boys who I think are four and a little girl who's, um, well, she might be two by now, but she was, uh, I think, one and a half when we spoke uh, back in March. Because uh, I've been bouncing around with the chronology during the series. I didn't want it all to be talking about blooming coronavirus all the time. So, yeah, this was pre-lockdown, actually. Um, but I thought, how do people work from home when they're writing? Anyway, uh, you can hear me talk to Hadley about that and about uh, her Jewish heritage, which features in a book she's just written called House of Glass, which is a beautiful book about her grandma. Um, and we talk about her dog, Arthur, and we talk about kids. Um, of course, <laughs> as you'd expect, <laughs> a podcast about working mothers. Um, golly, sorry, my introductions are getting more ridiculous each week, aren't they? Um, yeah, I am one of those people that phone someone um, and then when I get to their voicemail, I leave a full voicemail message of the conversation that I think we were going to have on the phone call only without their reply. So essentially, that's what I'm doing with you now. See, I can talk to you about everything and I don't even need you to respond. But I am going to stop talking now because uh, I think what Hadley has to say is far more interesting than my rambling on. Anyway, thank you so much. My final guest of the first series of Spinning Plates, the wonderful Hadley Food. Hadley, I'm so excited to meet you, and thank you so much for letting me come to your house and talk to you today. Oh, thank you, Sophie. Um, So sweet. (laughs) Well, um, so I don't know um, how much of it I've explained, really. I've been uh, basically starting this podcast, which is all about working mothers, because um, I... I've been working as a musician since I was late teen, but I have also been raising a family. Um, I now have five children, and um, I think I find there's a bit of a duality between half of me feeling, like, really empowered and and feeling like I can do anything because I've got these sons and it's all going to be fine, but also feeling a little bit, like, there's a little mum's net forum in my head also, so she's (laughs) saying, like, you're not probably not getting it all done right. Um, And I think no matter who you are or what you're doing... If you're a working mother, you've probably got similar sort of sides oh, of your brain. 100%. <laughs> and also when you have to go away for work, which I do quite a lot, and I have my boys, so I've got four-year-old twin boys and, and an eight-month-old baby, and um, I'll say to my boys, I'm going to miss you so much while I'm away. And, and one of them said to me the other day, then why do you keep going away? Oh. <laughs> it's so, so heartbreaking. Yeah, that's quite a good one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
So totally. I mean, no matter what you're doing, you're thinking you're not doing it entirely right. But then I've got friends who are mothers who don't work and they have feelings about that. And I've also got friends who work and don't have children and they have feelings about that. So I also know there's yeah. no one situation where you feel totally confident about what you're no, doing. That's true. And the reason why I wanted to speak to you is because, firstly, I adore your writing. Oh, thank you. Um, but also to me, one of the most challenging ideas is being something like an author when you're also <laughs> raising a family. And not only do you have three children, as you say, your daughter's really little. She's only born, is it last July? Uh, June, so she's eight months. Okay, yeah. so really little. Yeah. But you've also just released this incredible book. <laughs> yes, I know. This stupid book. Um, I mean, obviously, excellent book that everyone must buy immediately. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I should say, I, I did most of the research for it long before the children were born, long before I knew my husband, because I made such a meal of this research. It took me 18 years. Wow. And then I started writing the book 18 months ago. So I was pregnant with her for most of the writing. And I finished finished the writing the week before she was born and I thought wow look at me I'm so capable but what I forgot was that I then have to edit all the proofs and I took four months off from maternity leave and I spent the entirety the entire of my maternity leave on my bed editing proofs I had this whole planned idea I'd be like you know wafting around the Tate Modern going to the Wolseley with my baby because <laughs> last time I had twins and I couldn't leave the house and this time I was like whoa with a single baby I can go out and do things but no I was fully on my bed just reading proofs with the baby so that was a bit of a drag well we're kind of touching now on loads of things I want to talk to you about because I suppose firstly we should start with what have you got going on with your work at the moment tell us a little bit about your book House of Glass uh, so um, my book's just come out and it's the true story of my grandmother and her three brothers who were in Paris in the run up to the war and it's what happened to each of them over the course of the 20th century um, and it took me so long to do partly for practical reasons and I think also partly for emotional reasons if I'm honest because it was kind of painful asking some questions but just practical stuff I had to travel all around France and Poland and America going to archives and talking to uh, historians and finding all this stuff because I wanted it all to be true I didn't want it just to be a collection of family anecdotes because no one needs that um, so anyway so that's now done and it came out last Thursday so I'm having to do lots of promotion for that um, at the same time I am full-time staff writer at The Guardian where I've been 20 years this June which is the most tragic thing I've ah, ever seen congratulations that's cool is that cool or is that actually kind of sad <laughs> I mean, no I don't think it's sad same job for 20 years um, so I'm trying to coordinate stuff around that um, and yeah and the three kids I, I and I, I took four months maternity leave which people think is a really short amount of time but I am very lucky in that I can work from home so usually like on a normal working day you know I take the boys to their little nursery around the corner I come home I have the baby for about half an hour then the childminder turns up I go up to my study and then I come down for lunch and I have lunch with the baby and then I go back upstairs and the boys come home and they come up and give me kisses I keep working till about six and then I come down and then I take over Okay, so you have a space in the house where you go and they know that that's your working space. I mean, they know it. That doesn't necessarily keep them out of it. But yeah. they, they know where it's, it's next to their room as well. Um, right. But that's quite <laughs> useful at night, when, especially when I was working on the book. I would put them to bed and then I could go into my study to work and I would hear if they were crying or if they needed me. So I, I quite like it. I want to hear what they're doing. Yeah, no, I think, well, if that works, I suppose, you know, if you're someone that writes... And especially with the stuff at The Guardian, it's so much about keeping your sort of clear voice. 
if it's it's quite impressive to me actually that having the kids next door has actually helped you sort of keep that clarity of who you are in amongst it because it could it could actually sort of trigger the part of your brain that means you could suddenly all you can do is think about what they're doing i mean i say it helps that they're next door it helps when they're next door and sleeping <laughs> yeah. i mean when they're playing they're downstairs in the kitchen which is two floors below so that's fine um and I, you know there are these blessed silicone earplugs from boots which is always good at, which are always good at blocking out the world so yeah. it's fine and i actually haven't found that having kids has affected my work that in a negative way if anything has just kind of made me get on with things I certainly dicked around over this book for like I say 18 years and I think it's sort of telling that I finally started to write it when the boys were three and then I got pregnant and that kind of yeah. put the fire under me I just thought I've got to do this now I, I'll never I mean I don't know how you do things with five kids Sophie but I just thought once I have three I'm never going to be able to accomplish a book like this again well yeah it's interesting you say that because I wonder what it is about having the kids that did mean you suddenly felt like that sort of fire of like got to get this done now well I think it really wasn't until I had the twins that I sort of began to take myself seriously as a grown-up which is terrible because I was 37 when they were born so I definitely still thought of myself as a teenager for way too long and just thought I'm a young person why expect things from me I'm just having fun I can (laughs) write funny things in the Guardian and that's enough and suddenly I had these kids and I thought oh actually I'm a grown-up maybe it's now time to do the things that I want to do as a grown-up so they definitely made me grow up and I'm certainly not saying that people you know, only grow up when they have kids. This is just a sign of me and my emotional immaturity that it took until having kids to grow up. Yeah, no, I think for me, it's, it, I totally agree. It's, it's really important to me that the distinction is not saying if you're someone that's working and you have kids, boy, do they really make things work better. It's mm. not that. So it's actually more about reassuring, you know, yourself and other people that you can still get things done. You can actually still achieve oh, yeah. a lot at a time when you normally are quite worried that that's never going to happen again. And I know that... When I first got pregnant with my first baby, I was really scared. Like, what happened if I can never write a song again? What mm. happens if my voice sounds different? What happens if I feel daft standing on stage? Mm. It just felt almost so abstract. I couldn't imagine having those two th- two sort of hats I'd be putting on all the time. But actually, you do gain confidence and you do get better with the focus, I think. Yeah, and also you appreciate the times away. Mm. Whereas before, it was just kind of working, you're doing whatever. And it is hard. It's definitely hard going away. I went on my first big work trip in January. I was away for a week in Los Angeles. And okay. leaving the house, leaving the baby behind, she was six months. You know, she, Obviously, her father's here with her, <laughs> left her on her own, but she's here with her father and the childminder and you feel this wrench but then as soon as I was in LA doing the interviews you know I was covering the Oscars you're just in the moment and you can you can appreciate the times when you can work you know past the six o'clock deadline you you know you're not tied to the meal times and the schedule mm-hmm. and then you come back and you're back with them and you enjoy them but it's also I mean I find it hard talking about motherhood and work and all that because you know we're all sensitive and I think when yeah. people talk about their individual experiences you know, it's easy to take that, you know, someone can hear that and think I'm saying that about all women and all mothers. No, no, this or all, is very much your own thing. And it, it, it's hard, I mean, because we all do, we all look to other women to see how to do it right. Absolutely. And when a woman is talking about her experience with motherhood and work, then you think, she's saying I'm doing it wrong. And it's, it, it's you know, all mothers are different, all women are different, and everybody's experience is very individual. Absolutely. No, no, and actually I think, um, you know, possibly as well, the thing you said about feeling like you only really started to grow up in your sort of late 30s might actually mm. be more to do with the fact that if you find your first real success in 2000 when you're writing at The Guardian, there's, things tend to crystallise a little bit at the time when things take off and it's actually quite hard to to evolve those things sometimes actually and I feel like I'm only just... Mm. I've, that's what I love about getting older actually is I am thinking 
starting to see myself in a different way and capable of different things. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a long time, particularly in the music world as well, you're yeah. allowed to just like, you could stay 18 forever if you want to. There's like literally loads of people out there doing that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, nothing's sure. going to force your hand. Um, and it's not even necessarily motherhood that does that. Mm. I mean, obviously, motherhood it might be the first time you felt like you've had to be responsible yeah. for someone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. But you can still be be really quite selfish within that or be you know going to your day job and going back into that time warp of yourself totally so there's lots of we're way more complicated than that no and I mean you were so successful when you you were so young when you became so successful and certainly when I interview people who've had you know, kind that kind of success. It's funny how there's often this arrested development. Definitely. I mean, for me, I don't feel like I was very successful in the 2000s. If I'm honest, I think what kind of you know stopped me from growing is that I was anorexic as a teenager, and that does kind of stop you in some ways. Like it is a way of stopping growing up in a lot of ways. And I still feel sometimes like a decade behind. Like there's a part of me really? that feels kind of in my early 30s. <laughs> I'm very much not, I'm in my early 40s. And I always feel slightly like a decade behind. When I went to university, I still felt barely like 13, really. I felt so young. I still treated it like school. Then in my 20s, I kind of treated that time as university. I was suddenly like, you know, taking drugs or going out. Like that was my university time. Yeah. And I feel like I'm always slightly behind. So when I say I didn't grow up till my early, my late 30s with the kids, I mean, that's basically saying I didn't grow up till I was 28 in my mind, but actually I was 38. Yes. But then as you, it's, I suppose, for, I mean, we're the same age pretty much. I think for our generation, maybe the big markers aren't the same anyway. I mean, mm. I know, mm. I mean, you just touched there on anorexia as a teenager, which um, must be massively significant. But even without something like that, I have so many people, and I know for me as well, that didn't really, they, they reached all sorts of anxieties when they sort of mm. came out the other side of uni. Or I mean, for me, it was like definitely my early 20s where I suddenly thought everything's kind of been planned up to now, and now I actually don't know what the yeah. plan is. Yeah. Um, but... I don't, you probably know this already, but I, I actually only just recently learned this. But when you um, become pregnant and have a baby, you, the parts of your brain that, that control your anxiety, that actually enlarges. So oh. your, it's social interaction and empathy and anxiety that are primarily affected with oxytocin, which oh, I had wow. like no clue. Yeah, I didn't know. But it makes a lot of sense, and I kind of wish I'd known before. Yeah, right. But um, apparently, when you have a baby, it's the first time you've really had to worry about things quite a lot that you can't actually control it's so true and if you're someone that's struggled with aspects of that before that must be a really big deal to be changed so I think I mean from what I'm hearing I know for you these are you feel like you're still growing up and all these things and you know a state of you know feeling like 10 years behind but I think you must be an incredibly strong person to have gone through all that and then had babies and had to go through that feeling of being out of control again. That's I a big know. deal. And don't you feel like, as well, I mean, I certainly had this when the twins were born. I would just be up at night, like full of anxiety, imagining things happening to yes. them. And I didn't realize everybody was like that. I thought I was just this lunatic and I'd have these awful fantasies in my head of like, well, because I'm also epileptic, which just kind of added a whole different level of anxiety. And I'd have these whole imagined scenarios in my head of like me having a seizure on the street and like letting go of the pram and the pram rolling oh. into the street like the and fully imagined stories and it was only eventually like after two or three years when I sort of started mentioning these to friends I thought oh actually this is everyone it's not me being this mental head case which is how I always think of myself no. it is actually everybody who thinks this and worrying about this so much when you're on a work trip and then everyone's saying you see she was on a work trip and something happened to the kids yeah. and da 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 and Actually, it's everybody. It's not just me being a Definitely. I mean, lunatic. I think of things almost like I, I imagine like the newspaper article oh, of what happened. <laughs> like, and, and I think, you know, so one, things are happening. I'm like, would I be okay about this if this is how they summarised it? <laughs> and 
If I'm totally honest, I quite often, more often than I'd like, wake up in the morning and think, is this the day something really awful oh, happens know, with the kids? I know. And it's like, it's a... I think you ha- everybody has those avenues, as you say, and part of its nature is doing it deliberately because, you know, we're supposed to be responsible for these small people who've got, you know, little to no common mm. sense. Um, and um, so, you know, you need to be thinking about that. But sometimes, I mean, I'll have it while I'll be lying in bed at night and I'll, my brain will go through a series of these awful accidents. Oh, that's so terrible. You're like, oh, stop it. <laughs> and we've all got things that are our particular Achilles heel with that, I think. Like, for me, it's bodies of water. I always freak out about swimming really? pools and water. Yeah. yeah. I, my saw... My well, I think at the time he was four. My eldest, he'd gone. We were staying with friends' house, classic thing, and he'd gone to find his dad and actually decided to go swimming. And he was lying starfish oh down in the pool, God. and I thought, "That's it, he's he's oh dead." My God. So I ran as far as I could, and he sort of popped up when I got within about ten meters and went, "Oh, mummy!" I was just you know holding my breath. And, oh my God! And then the adrenaline kicked in, and I was shaking oh like a leaf. And I think God. that's yeah. You must have had such post-traumatic stress disorder afterwards or whatever it is like yeah you must have been like how did you sleep that night afterwards yeah I don't I just remember being in a blur and just um yeah going over and over and oh over it oh my god so. oh my god I mean last weekend I went away for the weekend for a friend's 40th um abroad somewhere and this weekend had been planned for ages because when the baby was two months old my husband had to go away for two months for work so it was always this thing like when he got back I could have this week you know have some time away you know mm-hmm. I could have some time on my own and so I was like okay I'm gonna go to this 40th birthday and then as the plane was taking off I suddenly thought what if something happens and everyone's like see this the mother was in this plane crash she'd left her three children yeah. all, uh, behind while she could go off and party and I could just imagine this horrible daily mail I thought obviously everything's fine I got back just you know spoiler alert there but um you do you just picture all these stories just happening yeah. and you're, it's a way of judging yourself as well like you being say, slack you know how dare you take time off how well, dare you work thing. so yeah but I mean how do we move on from that because that's quite tough that's quite a tough voice it is it? It, I mean for me like my sister and I both work um and we're both mothers of three and our mother was is and was wonderful, but she gave up her job when we were born. And I think we saw that she got quite bored a little bit when we were in our teens and didn't need her as much. And we Mm. were going out of the house much more. And I think that just really inspired us to want to work. My sister works way harder than me. She's an A&E doctor at John Radcliffe in Oxford. So she's got a proper job. She's got a proper job where she has to leave the house at 6 a.m. every day. And there'll be like three days in a row when she doesn't see her kids. Whereas like, I just sit upstairs on my ass all day long. Um, But for both of us, that's always been the motivation of we don't want yeah. that and you know and it wasn't like my sister and I felt guilty about our mother but you know we were always aware that you know she, that she's so smart my mom she got like summa cum laude at university that there was always more she could have done and I think we both wanted to to do that and to show our children that as well well actually I was going to ask you about yeah if you were raised by sort of working parents but presumably your dad was working all the time, all the time. I, yeah my dad so he worked um, on Wall Street when we lived in New York and then we came here and he became a diplomat and so he was away for like long stretches okay. he could be away for like 10 days at a time or whatever um, and so our mom looked after us and it was yeah. wonderful it was you know it was wonderful coming home every day and our mom was there and she would have snacks ready for us like I you know I do I am aware of all that you know that it's yeah. the nanny who picks the kids up I do know that but I also know that was a job that had a limit for my mother. And then she didn't go on. Well, actually, I say she didn't go on to do anything else. She did. She went to my school and got um, classics A-level and then went to really? King's College and went and got a classics degree. That's amazing. Yeah. So she did go go off and find her own things. But my sister and I just knew we wanted to work. And, and that's what we did. Well, I'm very impressed with both of your sister working those <laughs> oh, God, long it. hours because... Like, as a musician, we tend to complain if we've got, like, three days in a row of any sort of work. <laughs> I mean, my sister went through medical school. She went to Imperial late. She was a photographer at The Guardian for a while, and then she decided to be a doctor.
doctor. And she went through two pregnancies while at medical school. I mean, she, my sister's kind of insane. Wow. And she's now an A&E doctor at, at John Radcliffe. I mean, before that, she was working in HIV hospitals in Jamaica, and I would go visit her. And, I mean, she works way harder than me, and she had kids younger than me, so she's been in this game a lot longer. And, and does she deal with the guilt and the judgment in the same way to you, or are you quite different like that, do you think? She does, and she also has less childcare, so she does a lot more juggling. Um, she does, but she she's also much more pragmatic in a lot of ways. Mm. I mean, I'm quite pragmatic too. I don't I don't have guilt about you know my kids having a childminder or a nanny or anything like that. But I feel bad when when they miss me when they when they want yeah. to be with me. That's the thing. And yeah. so does my sister. But I suppose as well, just to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit, mm. if you're doing a job like literally saving people's lives, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can be quite pragmatic because you know that where you go, you're needed and you've trained and you've done all that work. So there's been a trajectory, yep. there's a shape to it. Yep. Um, whereas for if you're creative and you've always loved writing and presumably writing has always been somewhere you've gone to throughout your whole life as a place where you feel like this is somewhere where mm. I kind of know where I'm at. Mm. It's actually quite hard to always... Uh, Give give yourself that rightful place. Yeah, that's true. So you sort of had to carve it into being all the other things you're doing and raising your family, mm. but but it's quite hard to to shape that sometimes because if you don't go to your computer for a day, no one's going to no, die. I love right. your writing. But no, no, not, no, no. You know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, no one cares if this. I mean, you know, I write a book, great, but the world's not going to collapse if I don't write a book. Um, and it's also things like you know, with the Guardian, I get to do fun stuff. I'm not one of their yeah. hard hitting investigative reporters. And you think I'm going away for a week to cover the Oscars, like to interview Corey Feldman. <laughs> like, do I? Can I justify leaving my three children to do this stuff? And of course, it is fun, and you know, my editors want it, and I love doing it. But it's not a life or death situation. I'm not. It's you know, not. I'm but the world still needs that thing because you can't have all the. It can't be all the serious stuff, you know. That's what I hope. You know, it's, it's definitely true. It's definitely true. You know, last week I was um, rereading your book. Life moves pretty oh, fast, and it was making me laugh out loud. And that's that is oh, actually a really you. precious thing as well. You know, it's really important that stuff. Plus, when you read a book like that, and you know, as, as I said, same generation as you. That having that sort of nice warm feeling of what resonated with you when you were growing up mm. helps you actually kind of remember the core of who you are. That's actually it actually provides a proper job to your to yeah. how you feel about yourself. And you know, it was really nice just to spend some time thinking like way longer about Ghostbusters than I had for a really long time. <laughs> and about Steve Gutenberg. Like, I that, know. Oh, Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> I loved it when he said something like <laughs> and he was this his performance in one of the films made you think he could maybe actually really be an actor one day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> really me up. I know. Um, He's one no. of the few people who's refused to give me an interview. I feel very sad about Steve oh, Gutenberg. No. He would only do it over the phone. He wouldn't do it face-to-face, and I don't do phone or interviews, which makes me think maybe there's something like with his face. I don't know. Oh. It was something very strange. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I've always been sad not to interview one of my great acting heroes, Steve have Gutenberg. You, who have you interviewed from Ghostbusters? interviewed almost all of them now actually really? yeah the one I missed well that's that's actually totally untrue um I just interviewed Bill Murray um and Rick Moranis another acting hero um Robert Zemeckis who's the director and Bob Gale uh, no not Bob Gale Bob Gale was involved in Back to the Future um uh, not oh god Zemeckis and Gale sorry Zemeckis and Gale were Back to the Future Ivan Reitman is Ghostbusters I've interviewed Ivan Reitman a couple of times but Aykroyd never and I missed um Harold Ramis, which is uh, very sad to me. Um, 
but all, all, yeah, the rest of them I have gotten. Um, I've interviewed, I think, everybody now from Back to the Future. Really? Which, which I take enormous pride in. <gasps> that is really I, good. I think every single person, writer, director, producer, all the stars, like literally every single one of them. It's now. a great movie, Back to the Future. <laughs> it's like the best movie ever. It is. Have your boys seen it yet? Yeah, they're, they're little. They're but... still a bit too young, so they're four. I mean, their favourite movie at the moment is Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, which, good one. Which is a classic. Are they watching it even now? And oh, yeah, yeah. We okay, watched fine. it the other night. I mean, <laughs> they, they've got no sense of like, <laughs> no. They're, they're, they're like, it's winter. And like, yes, yeah. that's fair enough. Um, but I can't wait to start them on like Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, yes. you know, all that kind of stuff. I just so love it so much. So many good movies. Actually, my four-year-old, Jesse, he started watching Little Bits and Bobs. So he's uh, just seen, he hasn't seen Back to the Future, but he's seen E.T. Oh. Um, and The Wizard of Oz. And he said, oh, yeah, we love them. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, really? Yeah. And he said, these, these are special films. They, they are And I thought, oh, that's films. interesting. It's something in there. I mean... I think E.T. as well. Like, what an amazing bit of storytelling. I know. It, see, my boys were a bit scared by it. I tried to show them really? over Christmas. They found E.T. himself a little scary. Like, especially when he's in what, the closet. how he looks. Yeah. yeah, how he looks. And <laughs> when Drew Barrymore finds him in the closet, they yeah. found that slightly scary. I think they're, they're probably you know, a few months older now, so we'll try. But I've got to ask you, Sophie. I mean, I confuse my children's names oh, 20 yeah. times a day. How do you not confuse your No, kids? I do. You... I literally have to run through them and retire. <laughs> Apparently, there's a reason for that. Apparently, it's to do with where in your brain you... you you sort of it's almost like a file in your head yeah right people that give you the same emotional feeling of the same that's why right. it, is, it is always like a little bit of a um, a, f- a revealing thing if you swap names actually because you're sort of storing them potentially in the oh. same sort of feeling about someone God I often but yes. call, I call them by the dog's names sometimes. yeah but that's because <laughs> you love your dog <laughs> so bad you love your dog and you have to look after your dog <laughs> I mean the dog was here before the husband so I call him oh, really? the original gangster I mean he is the OG of the house oh no. that's so sweet though <laughs> That's Arthur, isn't it, dog? Arthur, named yeah. after B. Arthur, who is... Oh, really? My golden ulti- girl. Yeah, ultimate. And actually the baby, I mean, I probably shouldn't give away the baby's name, but she is named after another Golden Girls actress. Really? I, w- I want to have the full collection of the Golden Girls at some point. It's my favourite TV show of all time. I've been to a Golden Girls-themed uh, birthday party. Oh, it's the greatest. It's the most important. Oh, it was written fun. by the guy who wrote Arrested Development. Really? Yeah, so when he came over to promote the the fourth series or whatever it was, I begged to interview him just to talk about Golden Girls, and I arrived, and everybody else was talking to him, obviously, about, you know, Jason Bateman and, you know, the Bluth family and all that, and I just had a hundred questions about Golden Girls. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I was just yeah. like, who is this lunatic? All no. I wanted to do was talk about Blanche and Dorothy and Rose and all the rest of that. Oh, <laughs> well, those are all good names, actually. Um, great names. Yeah. So, because I thought I was getting a girl dog. I got Arthur the dog when I lived in New York, so that was like 10 years ago. And I was supposed to get the girl dog, so I was going to call her Betty. Um, and then in the end, the breeder decided to keep her to do something. And Arthur was the runt of the litter, and she was going to give him away. And I said, actually, I could do a B Arthur situation here. <laughs> so Arthur came. It might have been the runt of the litter, but actually, I'd say a fairly dominant golden girl. So you've <laughs> so raised dom- Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> he is more dominant than B Arthur was, as you found out when you rang the doorbell, and he scared the living crap out of you, probably. <laughs> oh, no, no. I was, I was impressed. Not scared. It's scared. Um, So with the book you've just written, you've touched a little bit on how long it's taken you to write that. That is is quite an impressive... Well, that's a real... uh, that must have been like a labour of love, really. Yeah, I know. Someone said that to me when I was working on it. I really bristled because that made it sound like a hobby. And now that I've done it, I'm like, yes, it absolutely was a labour of love. And also, while I was doing it, I wrote other books. I did, like, Life Moves Pretty Fast because I just, I found it so heavy going. I mean, there's only so much time you can spend in, like, the Auschwitz archives before you're like, you know what? I need to write about Back to the Future for a bit. Um, and the thing is, the book is actually not that depressing. And World War II is only a tiny bit of it. But mm. that just required so much research. And I gave up 
up history when I was like 15 years old. So I had to educate myself about so much. And it's quite heavy going. Um, but the book itself is actually quite uplifting. I mean, there's only mm. one death in it, amazingly, because it's a Jewish family in the 20th century. Um, but there were times when I thought, you know what, this is kind of too much. I just want to do a fun book. And in the end, the family book, I hope, is quite fun. But it just required wading through a lot of depressing stuff before I could yeah, get to the story. Yeah, but it's so vital that those stories are told, actually. I think I I'd actually so. really like to go and visit Auschwitz. Cause, I mean, have, you, have you been? Yes, yeah, so my dad and I went. It was the last research trip I did for the book. So he came with me in Dece- um, uh, March 2018. And it's really fascinating. I mean, obviously, it's not, you know, it's not Disneyland. Um, but it's very subject to historical interpretations. So whereas if you went five years ago, the focus was very much on, you know, the 1.1 million Jews who were killed and, you know, what you know what, what was happening in Poland at the time, what was happening in Germany, you know, was there Polish collaboration, et cetera, et cetera. Now there's a very far-right party called the Law and Justice Party in power and it's totally different. You go to Auschwitz now, if you go on the official tour, the focus is entirely on the Polish dissidents who were killed. So 70,000 Polish dissidents were killed. And... Um, that's what you get. And a lot of the Polish ministers in charge at the moment will say things like, we don't want this focus on what they call foreign narratives, which is what they mean Jewish stories. And various people who work at Auschwitz have had swastikas painted on their house because some people in Poland feel that there's too much emphasis placed on the Jews. There's too much emphasis placed on Polish collaboration, Polish uh, culpability. So there's now a focus really on Poland, this noble victim, and the Jews are kind of side dish. And the weirdest thing about it, when you go to Auschwitz, is that there's a gift shop in the car park. A gift shop. Which is so hilarious. Um, Because, like, obviously the thing you want when you go to Auschwitz is an I heart Poland. (laughs) I went to Auschwitz and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Exactly. I mean, it's basically that. And when I went in 2018, I then came back and wrote a column about it for the the magazine, uh, for the Guardian magazine, and (laughs) Auschwitz got in touch with me on Twitter, reprimanded me about really? this gift shop and I sent them back the photos I was like here is the gift shop and they said it's run by the local municipality it's not run by us and I was like that's not any better guys it's no. not it's not good that the local government has set up a gift shop in your car park um, but I just thought honestly all the things that Auschwitz has done to my family over the years now I'm getting reprimanded on Twitter by it like yeah. give us a break guys I just thought this has to be some great Jewish joke being told off by Auschwitz on Twitter yeah that's um <laughs> All, all pretty extraordinary, and um, I just came back from um, Israel for the. I went to oh, the first right. time the other day, mm. and I uh, we did a day trip to Jerusalem. Oh, and, yeah. um, some all of, of you did you all? Did no, you we didn't. I was supposed to be going for work, and we had right. two flights. So I just went with Richard, actually. Right, right, right. And uh, we uh, th- there, you can. There's lots of um, street vendors there mm. in, in Jerusalem, and you can buy a crown of thorns to take home if you <laughs> <God>. want. <to. laughs> Great present for the kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll take five. It's so weird. <laughs> for a World Book Day. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, that'd be incredible. I mean, the merching of these sites is always so yeah. fascinating. I mean, it whether is. it's Auschwitz or Israel or whatever. And just, I mean, people need the money, sure. But <laughs> selling yeah. crowns of thorns is something else. I know. I suppose then when you're there, you have to sort of find the bit of it that resonates, that means yes. something to you, yes, yes, don't yes. you? You have to find your own little experience a bit off the beaten track, but... Yeah, it's, it is. I suppose. I suppose it's probably always been the case. Um, actually. For sure, for but it just sure. it always seems very uncomfortable. Oh, it's so weird. Um, bedfellows, but yeah, get the gift shop in Auschwitz and stuff. <laughs> and the one, it's such a know. great Jewish joke, you know. Yeah. Auschwitz has a gift shop. <laughs> but I mean, with with the book, um, 
I suppose I suppose your little boys being four, they're probably too little to really know what you do for a living. And yeah, well, they know that mummy and daddy work for a newspaper. I mean, my Andy, my partner, is also at the Guardian because they see our photos in the paper occasionally, okay. and they now know that mummy's written a book about Grandpa Ron's mummy. Is, yeah. is how they take it. And and there are photos. There's a few photos of me when I was a little girl at the end. So they see those, and they see photos of their grandfather in the book. Yeah. But they have no sense really of what it is we do all day. And I mean, the, I had. To explain it to them basically that work is like school and they're like why are you always working why is mommy always working i was like it's like being in school sweetie this is what grown-ups do um but no they have no idea they have no concept that other parents do different things that i yeah. mean andy is a sports writer so he's often working on the weekends you know he'll be away for a month this summer because the olympics if it's not canceled he was away for two months earlier this year for the rugby world cup and to them this is just the norm as it must yeah. be for your kids that you know you, mommy goes away to make music exactly yeah it does mm. take a little while for them to get to the age where any of it's it like, oh, outside right. world factors i mean for me with my mum when i was little she was right. presenting um a children's tv thing yeah, with peter yeah, yeah, and sure. so uh i think i was about seven six or seven when i realized oh hang on not everybody else's mum is yeah. going off and doing this it's but. on tv life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But the different thing about um, what, what you do for a living that is quite unique, I think, is that you'll be able to share that book with them i mean obviously the other books too but a book about their family and their history i know but do you think they'll ever want to read it i mean do people want to read what their parents do i sort of wonder if that's just like not when they're boring. teenagers but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely one day i hope so and it is their story and I, it felt also important to do it because andy's not jewish and i want them to have a real sense of their jewish heritage the background they're going to start hebrew school in september so they'll have that mm -hmm. um although i'm the one who's gonna to have to schlep them there there's no way andy's gonna like take them on sunday mornings to hebrew school um but i want them to know their background you know what people went through in order to ensure their survival as the, as the cliche goes yeah um 
So yeah, that also maybe that was also another motivating factor in writing it. Once they came along, is I want my children to have a sense of their Jewish Jewish background. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I think you know it's like so. Everybody is so influenced by their upbringing and yes, their family. But if yes. you have got history and um, religion and cultural things and tradition like that, it's it, it's. It, it, it's like you saying it's even like the thing with work you know with what you do for a living it'll be when they get a bit older they'll think oh hang on a minute not everybody does yeah. goes to Hebrew school or whatever yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and they'll start being informed and then you know they might think oh actually that's really interesting because that's made me mm. you know influence that aspect of my life I think it's, it's, it's really good to have such a strong sense of where you come from I think and not everybody has that do your kids listen to their parents music mm. Um, well, with Richard's music, they're a little bit. It's a little bit harder for them to get away from it because Richard will suddenly decide he needs to listen to a mix of something and put it on really loud, even if Mickey's just gone down for a nap. Um, <laughs> and he's a lot more. I think maybe because he's the bass player, he's mm. a lot more out, happy to be playing stuff. And if people come around, he'd be like, "Listen to this new thing I've just done." Mm. Um, whereas for me, I'm a lot shyer about playing my stuff so I'll do it sometimes but no I don't I don't listen to myself like just for the pleasure of it mm. um, <laughs> I'm list, I'm writing a new album at the moment oh, so exciting. sometimes I'll listen to the demos and just check things but I'm just as happy to play things through my phone I right. can't be bothered to like rig it all up yeah, to yeah, yeah. proper speakers and with my gigs the last few gigs I've done in London I'll say to them who wants to come and like last time like one person put their hand up so <laughs> that was Ray he's seven he's very Aww. sweet I think he's realised that he, because children, I think, are very clever at finding. I don't know why I've always thought of it as like the weakness and the, the mm, damn, but mm. I think they'll think, well, if the, that character's, doing, you know, that brother's doing that, that kid's doing that. I'm going to do that once. And so being yeah. being a sort of uh, <laughs> someone nice enough to come to my gigs was a slot available for Ray. <laughs> so oh, he'll so probably sweet. grow out of it. But um, yeah, he was sat there, and it was really adorable. But. I think for the most part they get quite bored by mm. my gigs and I know when I used to take them to festivals all the time when they were little like Sunny mm. saying to me afterwards um, you should have had a climbing frame for the people <laughs> when they got bored watching <laughs> so that's about the level of it really um, And are your studios in the house? So. We have got a studio at home but I don't really use it that's what Richard uses I like to go to work to be honest I, yeah. that's why I was asking you so much yeah. about working yeah, yeah, from yeah. home because I really struggle and plus I don't think I'm very... I don't think I've been very smart at how I've set up my work in their eyes. And that because I adore it and I've done the same thing since I was a teenager pretty much, I don't think I've told them enough about how I actually do still need to work because mm. I'm earning a living as well. And yeah. I think I've made them feel like it's sort of optional. A bit like with your son saying, you know, but do you have to go? Just don't go. <laughs> they, they're a bit like that about me with pretty much everything. So I'm trying, like again, like you again, I, I feel like I'm only just now getting old enough to be like, a bit more unapologetic yes. about my, my boundaries for what I'm doing and, yeah. and how important it is for me. Yeah. I mean, I would just say to them now, when they say, why do you have to go to work? Why do you have to go away? I say it so I can buy you snacks and books. Yeah. I say, because this is, this is how it works. You know, yeah. I work, they give me money, I use the money then to buy you things. Exactly. And then, and then they sort of get it. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're still little as well. They're still And I have little. to say, I, I don't know, this won't be too, like... Scarier prospect, but I find it gets harder when they get older. I'm sure. No, everyone says that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm 
totally terrified of the teenage years. Yeah. Um, but once they're older and they understand more and they see other mothers not traveling so much yes. or whatever, then that's when they're going to yeah. have some stuff to say. Exactly. I mean, this time, particularly in January, I, I was so dreading leaving the baby. But actually, of course, it was the boys who were expressing yes. more, you know, yeah, separation baby. anxiety. I mean, they didn't You're even gone, notice. Like, fine. Bye, off you go. Yeah. Um, Whereas it was the boys who would like be saying on FaceTime every night, when are you home? Why aren't you here? I wanted you here last night. And that, that's, that's the killer. Really hard. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, and what was it like when you had your, when you had the twins? So did you, you said you took four months off. Yeah, it was about four months, four or five months. Yeah, four months off. Yeah. And were you, how did you feel about the prospect of having baby, babies? Baby? Babies. So it wasn't IVF or anything. So it was completely unexpected. And I went in for the scan at six weeks or whatever it was. And, they, and the doctor said, so it's two. And I said, two arms, two, <laughs> two legs. And he said, it's two babies. And I burst into tears, and Andy started laughing, and it was just—it was so—it was so overwhelming. Um, and then you just kind of like put your head down and get on with it, and don't think about it. And it was only since having the one baby this time that I realized it was really hard, actually. And I really didn't appreciate how much harder it was having twins. I mean, yeah. it, it, I, we couldn't—I couldn't leave the house for two and a half months because of just—it took so long to feed them, and yeah. then there'd be a nap, and the pram was so big, and it, was just, it just was a nightmare. Whereas with Betty, oh, so Sorry, no, sorry. I, can see, I like being able to hear your kids, actually. It's <laughs> making everything. me feel like I'm at home. With Betty, I mean, aside from the fact I was doing all my edits, I could just put her in a sling and walk out and go to South Pole Coffee yeah. Shop or whatever, or even go to, you know, the Tate Modern or something. I could actually leave the house. Um, and with the twins, it was really about managing. Um, yeah. And with this ba- with the baby, it's been about enjoying, which has been really yeah. nice. That's it, because uh, I think... Um, as well, there's a lot of people. I mean, I say this as I've got a brother and sister that are twins. I'm actually oh, right. 19 years older than them. So, this is my dad and my stepmom. Mm. And so, I've seen, I know how people, when they kind of you know, hear you having twins and they kind of go, oh, uh, and they laugh, like, oh, you're fine, <laughs> you know, whoa, here we go. And, you know, you, you're thinking, well, it's just still my first babies and I'm yeah. really excited. And so, you probably feel like, and then they come and you think, actually, this is really hard. And everybody with their first baby, I'm pretty sure, mm, finds mm, it quite isolating. Absolutely. I know I did. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I think um, it's, you probably uh, now, yeah, can realise a bit more that actually having two babies, yes, it's really hard work, but then when they get older... Oh, it's now it's How adorable great. is that, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think with twins is like the first two years is really hard and you know much much harder than one baby I, I can now see that mm. and then after two it's actually becomes much easier because they play together and you know if we hadn't had another baby our lives would be actually super easy now like the twins will happily play in their bedroom till like nine o'clock in the morning like we would be able to have a lion mm. if I didn't have this eight-month-old screaming at five in the morning um and when we go on holiday, like, you know, we've only really been on two holidays as a family because, as you know, it's quite hard traveling with multiple children. Yeah. But now, like, I can, I mean, I see they play together, whereas my, I've got a lot of friends who have one child. And when they have one child, they're, they're always on the ground playing with that child because mm. obviously the child needs entertainment. Whereas I feel like we now have it easy. If we go to a friend's house for Sunday lunch, the twins will just go off in a corner and play together. Yeah. Like, that, they really do entertain each other. Um, but the first two years, it was definitely hellish. And I remember, like, the first three months would be like, one of them wouldn't go to sleep before two in the morning ever. And then I would feed at three in the morning and then oh. the other one wouldn't go back to sleep. Oh. And it was just absolutely... Was this happening when you were oh. writing your columns and all this No, so this was when I was off work. And then in the end, we got a twin sleep trainer in who wow. was the absolute 
savior and everyone's like oh my god that sounds so cruel or whatever it really wasn't like that it was she would just sit in the room with them and when one of them cried she would just pat them slowly until they went back to sleep and it got them both sleeping it synced up their sleeping which is what i really needed and it's got them sleeping 12 hours a night which was an absolute miracle wow. but the irony is i haven't really bothered with any of this sleep training stuff or anything with the baby because i'm like it's just one baby it's fine and as a result she still can't sleep through the night at eight months so i'm actually getting less sleep than i did with the twins but it's fine I mean, when she wakes up crying in the night, it's not that panic I had with the twins. But if one would wake up crying, I'd be like, don't wake up the other one. Don't wake up the oh, other one. Where, whereas this one, if she wakes up, it's like, it's fine. It's fine. Here's your dummy. Here's some milk. Here's whatever. It's yeah. fine. It feel, it's just much, it's much more contained. Yeah, and also I think you know that they will grow out of it probably exactly. quite quickly. And if you're chilled exactly. about it, it happens. I mean, yeah, Mickey, my youngest, is he only really started sleeping properly, probably... Um, Probably about a month ago. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like it's really recent. Yeah. And it, it, you forget how nice it is to. Um, I say that he woke up last night, but generally. Yeah, he did. yeah, yeah. And right. um, how nice it is to go to bed and think I, I probably won't see any more people till oh you know seven. That's actually like whoa. Oh my god! So exciting. There was this period when Andy was away in Japan in October, November, and the baby was waking up like three times a night, and I was trying to get the basically trying to whatever it is train the boys not to wet the bed during mm. the night and there would be like one night when it'd be like she would need she would cry three times a night one of the boys would wet the bed then the other one would wet the bed and it was just like absolute chaos yeah. at four o'clock in the morning and you just you 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 do know once you're past the first baby these are all just phases yes. and you can just take a much bigger perspective whereas the first time around you're like this is my life forever it's definitely not everything's a phase <laughs> yeah and actually um it's very unusual to have a household where everybody just like gets into bed at the same time every night yeah and yeah, tucked yeah. Up and, absolutely i mean it's definitely my lot as well they're getting more and more into they'll always start off kind of quite quite good and then they get to about three or four and they think hang on a minute i don't have to stay here i can yeah. go and <laughs> i'm hungry or my tummy hurts or you know i'm hot or whatever yeah, it might yeah. be so yeah that's like an ongoing thing and i guess it's a bit of time extra time they can have with you as well well, so I know. experimenting I, with their power. It's true. I mean, to be honest, I didn't really want to sleep train the baby. I mean, this makes me sound so hippie and woo-woo and all the rest of it, and I'm really not like that. But when she wakes up at 3 or 5 in the morning, I think, well, it's little time I get to have with her, exactly. and I bring her into bed with me, and she's so cute and warm and cuddly, and I actually don't mind, to be honest. No, I, I just saw your baby. I would I would totally, yeah. <laughs> she's She's uh, someone I wouldn't mind seeing at 3 or 5 in the morning. She's very sweet. Um, and what's it like for if you're writing? What's it like when you haven't slept properly? Oh. <laughs> My vocabulary sort of goes to about a quarter. It's not brilliant in the first. Place. No, I mean, it's funny. I've done actually. I did a column. I have to. I, have to, I do a column in the Saturday magazine. I have to file it on Monday morning. So I actually just did it. And because I had a really bad night's sleep the night before, I've, I've just done a column on sleeplessness for this week. Um, oh, someone's just coming to say no, hello there. Small. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't look very interested. By you know, no, mom just talking. Just chatting away. <laughs> Boring. No biscuits. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. There's no snacks out. I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, you've got five. I mean, if you have to do it, you just do it yeah. I mean it's how I feel like when people would say god twins how do you cope you're like what am I supposed to do leave them in the road I mean you just kind of do it and yeah. there have definitely been times when I've had to write an article or do an interview and I've had like three hours sleep and you just think I'm never going to be able to do it but you do it you do I mean I'm sure I'm giving myself premature Alzheimer's or whatever and destroying my brain but you just kind of carry on it sounds yes. terrible but you do and I remember before I had kids I thought if I have less than seven hours sleep I'm basically a wreck and now I just like laugh hilariously at myself in the past I mean I have done interviews on two hours sleep and you just oh. you just, you can I mean it's terrible I'm sure it's not good for you but you, you can no I know and also I think if you have work like that sometimes you think okay I can just get the focus for that period yes, of time exactly yeah. and then die afterwards <laughs> yeah, exactly <It's> fine. <laughs> yeah exactly no very much so I think um 
I think it's very impressive. And I've given um, House of Glass to my mum to read Aww. first, but she's going to give it to me next. <laughs> well, I have many, many spare copies in this house. No, no, I, I have one. my own. And that's, um, that's lovely. But um, I'm also telling Richard he's got to re- read the Life Moves Pretty Fast because honestly, it was just so, I found it so heartwarming. I was thinking actually on the way here, if there's much depiction of of motherhood I know there's parents in those movies but there's mm. not really many films I feel like they're about raising kids I suppose maybe three men and a little lady so the only one I can think yeah, three so men and baby as it so started. it's often about dads raising yeah, kids so you, true. Yeah, so you get movies like Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton oh, yes. and stuff so it's it was the 80s this really interesting period where there was this backlash against feminism so you get what you get a lot of is this fear of the feminization of men and because mm. also women were in the workplace then so obviously a lot of women going out to work and then there was this fear of like how is this going to affect the family how is this going to affect men and so what you get is repeatedly men being quite useless having to raise kids and sort of screwing up um, and you often get a lot of mothers being away and therefore the kids causing havoc in the house so yes. there's a lot of things like risky business or weird science and that whole kind of thing you yeah. know the thing that was kind of riffed on in the yellow pages advert about needing the French polishers so the yes. parents go away the kids trash the house um, so there's a lot about that there's a lot of ideas of absent mothers and feminized fathers there's definitely nothing that praises mothers and one of my favorite movies well probably my favorite movie is Ferris Bueller's Day Off and the thing that's really interesting in that movie to me now as a mother is so you have the two parents of Ferris and they both work the mother's an estate agent the father works in some unexplained office in Chicago but it's the mother who keeps getting rung up and told off by the headmaster for Ferris being away. Meanwhile, the dad's in Chicago going out to these fancy lunches in French restaurants and like watching parades out the window and flirting with sexy women in taxi cabs. But the mom is working too, but she's still having to be a mom. Yeah. Like that's really the message is like, and it's also not a, an untrue message, but it's like, okay, mothers, you can work but it's not going to be fun for you, whereas the dad still gets to have fancy business lunches. <laughs> yeah, that's really true, actually. I didn't think of it like that, but you're right. It is the mum that always gets the phone calls. Oh, yeah, always. And it is still. I mean, like yes. if one of my boys is sick from the nursery, Andy and I, we both work from home. We are both guardian columnists, but it's me who always gets called up about stuff, Yeah, um, which is hilarious to me. It feels still so retrograde. No, I think there's a lot of stuff that have, has really stuck in that sort of traditional roles, and I think that's partly why, because when I've first thought about the, the subject of like working mothers, mm-hmm. I was like, well, maybe it's not a thing anymore. Maybe I'm, there's not really that much to discuss. And I thought, no, actually, because for better or worse, I think of myself as a very modern thinker, but I have still got myself in really quite a traditional role at mm-hmm. home. And, you know, it, it's on the way here, I messaged the school about something that yeah. I remembered about. <laughs> and, you know, Richard's gone off to work and yeah, I, I just, he wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to him that he needs to phone the school to mention that one of the kids has got a play date after right. school, you know. Right. That's, right. And, and I've taken that on and that's fine. I mean, it's not to say he couldn't do it. Of course he could do it. But I've just removed that responsibility from him and thought, no, no, it's fine, I'll... I do it. Keep all those things yeah. going. No, I'm definitely the one who does the play dates. I know all the names of all the kids in their class. Yeah. I know the parents. You know, I organize the birthday parties. I mean, Andy is very hands-on. He does all the cooking in the house. He does all the food shopping. I mean, you know, he's very much a hands-on dad. His mom worked. His mom was a headmistress of local school. But I still do all that stuff. I'm the one who gets their, you know, gym kit sorted and all mm. that. And we have literally the same job. And yeah. yet it's still me who does all that kind of pastoral care. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? And if, um, I don't know, the other day our, our nanny wasn't very well. And so it's... it's well, falls on you. Him there. Yeah, it's fine. falls on you. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I, I sort of... I don't really know why I've, I've ended up being quite so traditional. I didn't really... I mean, it doesn't matter. Rich, Rich is a great dad. And actually, in some ways, I think I prefer 
knowing all those things. I yes, I'm quite I a control agree. freak, so I, I quite agree. like. I don't think I'd be very good at handing over the reins, but then sometimes I'm like, this is actually really silly. Like, I know. <laughs> I mean, I kind of thought that with the nights with the baby. I mean, Andy hasn't really done that many nights. It's normally me, mm. but at the same time, I I would feel terrible if I was downstairs and he was in the baby's nursery. Like I want to, I, I want to be with her. To yeah. Be honest. Um, and I and I also do like knowing all the kids' friends, but at the same time, you can you you can recognize that you partially chose this, and at the same time, still furiously resent it. Yeah. I mean, I I would never go away for two months from the kids the way Andy did. I would, ne- you know, when the when the twins were born, he then went away for a month for the Rio Olympics and stuff, and he doesn't have that same kind. I mean, he obviously misses them, and you know, he makes sure to leave letter. He leaves letters for them and cards for them to read while he's away and all that kind of stuff. But it it wouldn't occur to me to do that. Whereas it is yeah. different. It it still is. I don't know if it's a biological thing or whatever. Right? If that's just an excuse, but like I was away for a week and I and it was really weird. It was yeah. really weird. Yeah, and and also when I go to work, I'm the one who gets the questions about who's looking after the kids while I'm away. <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And everyone's like, "How did you write a book when you had kids?" I mean, Andy wrote a book that came out right after the twins were born not a single person asked him about that <laughs> no no I know but then it's because also um, especially with the with, well young children it does seem to be still the, the mother's role is still that more we're still expected to be the one that is always there and yep. you know uh, providing the really sort of basics of nurture and that's not to say you can't reverse those roles you can't have it any which way you want and in fact I've got a really good friend of mine where she goes to work her husband does all the childcare and she's brilliantly straight up about it but it's it is in stark contrast to most stories I know it just doesn't it isn't the norm and it's true I mean my sister gave me this book when the twins were born I'm I don't know if you've read this too called Raising Boys oh Uh, I've heard I think I've got it on a shelf somewhere somewhere (laughs) I think by an Australian like family therapist or Mm. something and there was a really interesting thing in the first chapter where he says from ages zero to six the the boys focuses all on the mum and then from 6 to 12, it switches to the dad. And then from 12 onwards, it's kind of about breaking away from the parents a little bit. I didn't want to right. read that oh. bit. That was too upsetting. <laughs> but I, just go back to the mum again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to live with no. me forever. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. Because it's true, the boys, like if they wake up in the night, if one of them has a bad dream or what's the bed, they do call out for me. Mm. Like the instinct is still towards me. But I see as they get older, they're having more fun with Andy. You know, he can take yeah. them to sports matches. He takes them to like imperial war museums and tank museums and boring heteronormative stuff um, <laughs> but at the same time he'll take them like he teaches them how to cook and you know, it's not like he's some weird Chuck Norris masculine figure <laughs> but um, they are now having more fun with their dad mm. but it's still me they cling to for kind of emotional stuff yeah 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 I think I think that is echoed in so many houses is that um hello Arthur sorry it's, oh, you know what Arthur's come to tell me he says you've been talking for too long this is another and Arthur you're right I know it's the endless small creatures in my house who, who demand attention well also I'm sort of a aware of the irony of the fact I'm talking to you about being a working mom which meant you've had to organise childcare for your three children <laughs> so you can talk to me yeah. but I have to say Sophie I feel like such an amateur next to you I mean I only have three you have five nah. kids I don't know how you get dressed You're in the morning no, well uh, sometimes I go out in really weird outfits I, I mean, did a bizarre I think... school run the other day I looked at myself and I was like whoa this is really <laughs> pushing I mean, I'm quite relaxed I kind of think it was like oh god but how do you do the school run with five I mean obviously you're not taking all five no right? I'm not well my eldest does it by himself right. now so it's and and if I the ideal is that someone's at home to have the baby because right. then he doesn't have to be carted around yes, sticking yes, yes. so cold so then there's two at primary and then one at nursery and it's, it's actually quite straightforward they're pretty near us and yeah. everything like that so that's not the tricky bit it's more actually I find the hardest bit is probably having such diverse ages yeah. and making sure they all feel like they get a time, time with me I know. and I do all separate bedtimes so I start at about 7 and I don't finish till 
Well, Kit, Kit's starting at about nine. He's mm-hmm. the 11-year-old. And then I'll go and tell Sonny at about 10. But I need to spend a bit of time with him as well. Yeah, that's And right. that's more it. So really, like, Richard's out tonight. So that's me. Like, that's three that's hours of my evening. evening. I'll try yeah. and eat in somewhere in the middle of it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it's not going to last forever. I know. it's, And that's, like, I keep reminding myself, this is such a short period. Like, there's going to be a time when they don't really want to hang out with me. No, and right no. now, they're always saying, I want mummy time. I want mummy time. And you want to have that time in the day I mean this is the thing I struggle with most probably as a working mother or maybe it's just as a mother is that you don't just want to be managing things and being like no. you know get up get dressed go to school da, 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 brush your teeth you want to be enjoying things yes. you know and, and having this one on one connection with them and that's the thing that's hard really. I agree and like sometimes when I go away to work and people say the kids are fine I go I'm not worried about the kids it's me I'm I the know. one who's feeling sad that I'm not there I know so no I think that's really true and um yeah, you. Do, but sometimes you are just getting by. And actually, yeah. you know, I've, I've spoken to my mum about this and, you know, she was saying about when I was small and she was a single mum for one. She said, oh, I was really selfish. I was going out all the time. I was, she'd just broken up with my dad and she was like, I was, you know, dating. And, you know, but she said, if I'm honest, I was, it wasn't the best parenting I ever did. And I said, but you know, my memory is not that. Mm. My memory is that I always felt loved. I always felt safe. Mm. And we're really close. Mm. So actually, it, we really have to remember that, that, good enough is actually still good as well and not every day is going to be this rip yeah. roaring you know we baked a cake and we've just done some painting and <laughs> you know it's they're all tucked wiped out and they've just done some sport and you know some like we didn't even leave the house on saturday yeah. and you know I, it's not ideal i'd like it if we all went out for like climbing climbing trees and yeah, yeah, things yeah, but sure. we didn't we just sort of sometimes and you just need netflix <laughs> exactly exactly to watch some 80s movies <laughs> which is what I'm going to do tonight while Rich is out if you have time after your 7 to 10 I'll stretch i time yeah. if I'm honest the sexiest thing was when Rich is away as I get to maybe watch a movie and do a jigsaw puzzle so oh, that's my night oh my god it is heaven I love them and oh. love puzzles and also just when you can just sit and be and not yes. speak and not have anyone asking you questions exactly. the times after I've gotten all the kids into bed and I come down and Andy will ask like where's something and I'm like oh. I am not answering anything anymore i know exactly <laughs> that'll be me tonight and i might even get my game boy out for oh pleasure. game boy yeah. now i'm super little bit jealous. tetris oh my god <laughs> i'm all rock and roll it's these so days peaceful. oh my god that sounds so good is it like an old school one? yeah oh my god the original did you get it ebay okay i need to get i want the super mario brothers on game yeah boy. yeah that that'll probably come with it thing ever but oh remember you need batteries and an independent light source because it's not backlit yeah <laughs> it's probably okay, the fine. worst aspect of a game boy that's fine that's oh my god that sounds so good <laughs> better than a Do massage it. there you go <laughs> <laughs> and when I take it I'm back imagine the amount of people that say to me where did you get that oh yeah oh, my god attention, my game boy. <laughs> more than the kids so sweet <laughs> And when I take him out to the park with the kids, it's actually the uh, the dog. I mean, it's actually the dog that gets all the attention. Everyone comes yeah. out and goes, oh, your dog's so cute. I'm like, and these three children? No, it's the dog <laughs> that gets the focus. Yeah, I can see why. Well, oh, thank you so much, Hadley. Oh, thank you so much for coming, Sophie. No, really, it's been really lovely to speak to you, and I'm so excited about your book. Thank you. That's very it's kind of you. Oh. And I'll continue to enjoy your stuff in The Guardian, too. Oh, well, thank you. Honestly, everybody I've told that I'm speaking to you is, like, such big fans. <laughs> Like Arthur's scoffing at that. No, no. 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 Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hi, yeah, Oh, no, 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 honestly. <laughs> he is a total bull fanatic. Damn, 
<laughs> was there anything else I did that? No, because I wanted to. I was wondering about the um, the, the roles. Okay, cool. Um, so Hadley, you mentioned when you were younger and you felt like you were sort of dicking around a lot and not... Oh, Arthur's back in. It's <laughs> fine. Sorry. Arthur, we didn't mean to banish you. You can be here. I'm sorry. Um, when you mentioned about when you were younger and you felt like you were just sort of... had much more time to sort of prat about and, yeah. and, and, and take your time to grow up. Yes. What do you think that, that version of you would think about you now and how, how your mothering and also how your life has changed? Yeah, that is... Well, that is a good question. I do think sometimes how well would my 18-year-old self think about my 40-year-old self? But perhaps a better question is what would my 29-year-old self think about my 40, 40-year-old self? Um, I think I'd be surprised at how together I am. I mean, for a while, I just felt like I needed, you know, my own space. I needed to go off and get off my face occasionally. I needed to go off to Glastonbury and Ibiza and just stay up for four days at a time. And actually, I've been okay. And I can still go out and have fun. I'm not, like, staying at home all the time. I, you know, I do go out to festivals still. I do go out to parties. But I'm not out getting smashed every weekend by any stretch of the imagination. And I think I'd be relieved. I mean, yeah. for a while, it did feel like, to be honest, particularly in my late 20s, early 30s, my life was beginning to feel a bit out of control. And it has come together, thank goodness. But isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and also to not be worrying about food all the time anymore. I mean, that... I got out of hospital last time when I was 17, but I was still, like, terrified of sugar and carbohydrates and all that crap until I was probably about 31, 32. And I was—I look at photos of myself then, I still look pretty thin. I mean, now I, I look, you know, probably almost, you know, I probably look a bit overweight because I haven't lost the baby weight and I actually really don't care. And that's a huge relief, too, to, like, for that not to be an issue at all. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of trying to bite my tongue to say, well, no, of course you don't look overweight <laughs> at you. all. But I also know it's not actually really about it's, what I say it, and what I'm... I mean, it's fine. I mean, I, you know, last time with the twins, I... You know, but maybe it was still a bit with the twins. I, you know, I went, I went back into exercising right away after they were born. Like six mm. weeks, you know, I was, you know, back at the gym, and this time I haven't done anything. I just kind of don't care anymore. It's, it's fine. I feel like it's like a, a skin I've slipped off in a big way. But isn't that a powerful thing? Because I think so many people go through. I mean, a lot of people go through various issues with their mental health when they're young, teenage, mm. or in their twenties. But I think, I mean, you know, you've touched on it a little bit, but. Um, you know, you were actually out of school for a long time mm. and probably the idea that you would turn into such a highly functioning, successful adult, probably actually at that age, probably seemed completely insurmountable. And also, you know, you can't really imagine yourself, you know, without that part of you. It feels so, it feels like such a strong part of your identity. You might be scared of losing it. And it just feels unimaginable to be able to, I mean, if you're anorexic in the way I was, you know, this idea that you could eat spontaneously to think, I feel hungry, therefore I'll have a scone and I won't then skip dinner for three nights or whatever. Like to be able just to eat without thinking is kind of incredible. Mm. Um, I think there is a reason that it happens mainly in adolescent years. I do think it is something that people grow out of to a certain extent. But, you know, if it's as ingrained as it was in me, you do think this could be my life. I could just go through my life, like, never eating certain things and, you know, fearfully looking up the menus of a restaurant before going to meet a friend there and all that. Yeah. And to not have to do that anymore, it's just like, oh, you free free up so much real estate in your brain. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Also for the people that were worried about you and love you, that must be the thing they were always hoping for you and you'd get to that point and... You know, it's 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 a long journey, but it, it, it happened. It, yeah, and also I think like 
I mean, I don't know. I didn't think about it so much with the twins, which is maybe stupid because obviously boys can get eating disorders too. But especially once I had a daughter, I was very conscious of, I do not want to pass on bad habits. I do not want her to think this is what women are like. This is how women should measure themselves and women judge themselves. So I am very conscious of not eating like that around her, not thinking like that around her, even though she's eight months old. But, you know, you don't want to get into that pattern. I mean, no. And, I, you know, I do stress. I do know men get eating disorders. There were men in hospital with me. But it wasn't something I thought about as much, and now I am very conscious of it. No, I know. I, I, I can totally understand that. And I think also, um, you know, people are really complicated. So whilst that's how it manifested, whatever you might... I don't know if you ever really do untangle exactly what it is that kicks those things mm. off. Mm. But actually, um, I think when we always worry, don't we, about what our children oh, inherit God. from us that's not the size of us we're as proud of, yeah. as that's natural. Yeah. But from where I'm sitting, I think your kids hopefully will inherit your strength because that's actually an incredible thing to go through and to get the other side of and to be able to reflect on because all those things I bet just didn't seem like that day would come when you're in, in free fall. <laughs> I mean, it was just, yeah, the idea that I'd one day have three kids and a job just feels, you know, that, w that would have been totally foreign. But I think every family has learned ways of coping. You know, people talk about is alcoholism genetic or any of this stuff, and maybe in some cases it is, but I, I think there's also people pick up ways of coping. And in my family, it was definitely always eating disorders. I've got cousins with eating disorders. My grandmother was always really, diff you know, had difficult relationships mm. with food. So I don't think it was genetic. I think we just saw how other adults coped with feelings of anxiety and feelings of, you know, wanting to express unhappiness. And the way was always through food. And that is what you don't want your children to pick up. You don't yeah. want your children to think, okay, I'm feeling really anxious, therefore I'm going to drink a lot. Or, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I want to have fun, therefore I need to take a lot of drugs. Or, I you know, I want to say I'm unhappy, therefore I'm going to not eat dinner. Like, you, yeah. need, you just need to teach them that you can just say things directly yes well golly that's i mean that's a massive topic in itself isn't it about how we deal with things and mm. i think actually we are getting a lot better at these things aren't nearly as taboo and they're a lot more open um and i think what i didn't really realize i think is your relationship with so many things is sort of formed pretty much by the time you're probably only about eight to ten actually know, you know terrifying. love money food all these things and, and your emotions mm. um but, you know, when, when kids get to being a teenager, firstly, you've laid a lot of the groundwork if you've given them a loving, secure home, but also they are their own people. And yeah. to a certain extent, you know, we're only the mums. You know, there's so many other influences in, the, in their lives. And, you know, if you're there and always open and communicative and loving, I don't think there's really much more you can offer. And yeah. after a while, people are going to be responsible for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just sure. as you got yourself into such a pickle with all of that... Mm -hmm. You got yourself out of it too. Yeah, I mean, you know? I, you know, and I have a sister who's only 14 months younger than me and she didn't go through any of that. Mm. So, you know, as parents, we think everything is nurture, but mm. there's a hell of a lot of nature Absolutely. that goes on. And as much as we think, if I do everything right, then my kids will be fine or if yeah. anything goes wrong with my kids, it's my fault. But they are, like you say, their own people. Yeah, it doesn't really exist, that, no. I don't think, actually. No, Because... No. What's the extreme of that? What keeping them in a sort of, you know, in a little bubble? bubble. That's gonna. That's probably gonna result that's in the most. That's terrible too. <laughs> the most I mean, you know, my problems. my partner and I, you know, debate this all the time. I mean, I'm all about protecting and cosseting, and he's all about, you know, experience yeah. and letting them feel this. You know, not, you know, it's not like he's beating them, but you know, things like, you know, how, you know, how much independence do we give them in sense yeah. of like, can they go down to the kitchen on their own? I mean, that's the level we're at at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're only four. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, you need to be with them all the time. And he's like, they need to feel like they're independent people. Like we trust them yeah. that we're not hovering over them all the time and that I know is going to be a debate throughout 
you know, our parenting. Yeah, all and these things come out. They really do. <laughs> uh, we've got Richard and I. We're quite similar on loads of things, but there's definitely things. Our probably our biggest uh, debate is about um, how how much we encourage them, either encourage or are a bit more firm about insisting mm. on things like music lessons. Because I'm right. actually very chilled. I'm like, you can have the lessons, but I'm not going to stand over you saying mm. you should practice. Because I'm like. The piano's there. Mm-hmm. You're either going to want to do it or you're not. But he thinks, no, it should be a bit more like... Pushing. You do five minutes of practice every day. Mm-hmm. And we feel really quite differently about it. And I, I, don't, I don't actually think I'm right. It's just that I can't make myself into the sort I of person know. that stands over them. So it's really more, more that. But every, every household, it's amazing what comes out. Um, and I would say it's funny hearing you say about the kids, the four-year-olds going to the kitchen on their own because my four-year-old is the fourth one down. Uh, so I probably don't really know where he is half the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of a big family. You can really go under the radar. Your daughter will experience it. I mean, you'll be somewhere with your twins and then your daughter will be off like... No juggling party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. That's the benefit. She's She'll be fine. like... Oh, yeah. so that was my chat with the lovely Hadley Freeman thank you so much for having me over to yours Hadley love talking to you Um, and also the book that she's written House of Glass is wonderful I really recommend it Um, and not only was that uh, the end of my chat but the end of my series my first series of spinning plates thank you so much for being part of all this with me I've um really enjoyed myself I've really enjoyed having time that I can put aside just to have these incredible conversations with so many amazing women and now I look to you to tell me who else I should be speaking to please um, I do read all the comments so please put a comment and let me know who else you think I should would be a good guest I'm keen to cast my net far and wide and it's been so nice for me to um, to approach people I've never met before but I just think sound kind of cool and then and I have time to speak to them. So thank you to all my guests. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you to my amazing producer and friend, Claire Jones. Claire Jones has been part of this whole thing with me. She is someone I've known since I was a teenager when she was a lodger at my mum's house. Um, she's a good friend of my mum's too. But Claire is an amazing radio producer and also has been incredibly supportive and encouraging with me with all of this. So thank you, Claire. You've been wonderful. Uh, I want to thank Richard, who my husband, who is unwittingly... Um, especially with everything that's been going on with uh, lockdown and all that stuff. He has unwittingly become uh, my editor. (laughs) So um, I know that wasn't what you intended, darling, but thank you so much. Um, He's given me loads of his time and support, so I really appreciate him doing that too. Um, And that's kind of us for the team, really. Got the lovely Ella May, who's done all the amazing artwork. And lucky for me, all of us will be back for the next series, which starts again in a month. And yeah, send me your suggestions. I've already recorded a few and I'm very excited about the people I've been speaking to. And I've got an amazing wish list, of course, but keep keep me adding to it. Keep pushing me to talk to new folk. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been lovely. I've adored it. And uh, for something that I wasn't sure what kind of shape it was going to be, I think spinning plates has become actually a very important part of my life because apart from anything else, um, it's probably the longest uh, conversations I've had uh, that don't get interrupted by small people or, you know, other stuff, probably all year. <laughs> it's the time when I press record on the little um, little dictaphone and then I'm just allowed to just be nosy and curious. Isn't that great fun? And I hope I've been asking the sort of questions you want me to ask of people. Um, but the feedback's been lovely and thank you. It really means a lot to me. So, yeah, 
I'm basically just sat here feeling very, very happy about things. That's a nice way to end, isn't it? See you in a month. Lots of love. Look after yourselves. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.